0: as we come and as we read from the Word of God once more this morning. We turn to Romans chapter 6, uh, beginning of verse 1 and through verse 4 as we come to our sermon text uh, this morning again from uh, the book of the Apostle Paul to the church of Rome, beginning at chapter 6, verse 1. Hear the Word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, you have called us uh, together on this day uh, to hear these words by your providence. To God we pray uh, that you will use them uh, to open our hearts and our minds uh, that we might live lives of thanksgiving for your grace. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things that I hear a lot as I go and as I visit is I hear a lot of instructions uh, from doctors to patients. I hear uh, a lot of talk about what physical therapists would like uh, people to do and what occupational therapists would like people to do and they always have benchmarks that they would like people to reach at certain points and at certain times. You know, often joke that you know they ought to give us about a semester in Seminary of Anatomy Physiology so we can understand some of these things that we're hearing, you know, so that we can maybe help a little bit. But of course, that's not primarily our job, to help in that way, but it would be kind of you know, helpful to kind of understand these things. Well, when we, when we see these lists of, of, of patterns and these lists of things that, that patients are supposed to do, well, what's the, what's the point of all of these things? Well, of course, the point of these things is to get better. Of course, the, the physical therapists and the occupational therapists and, and, and the nurses, you know, at least they should, know what they're talking about. And so we hear them say these things, and, and, and obviously our, our, our normal response is, well, I'm not sure that's exactly what I want to do. Or that I really need to do. Of course, what happens when we don't listen to our physical therapists and our occupational therapists and our nurses and our doctors? Is is it usually a positive outcome? Well, normally no. And again, when we think about uh, the, the, this physical thing, this kind of obvious physical thing, well, think about you know, of course, the spiritual plan that the Lord God has given to His people. When God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, He told him to do certain things. And if He did certain things, then what would happen? Well, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, and the people of God are not going to listen to you. But I'm going to bring your people, my people, out of bondage to slavery and bring them into the land of promise. And of course, what happens? Moses obeys the voice of the Lord. He goes back to Egypt. And what happens? Pharaoh doesn't listen to him. And the people don't listen to him. But what does God do? God is faithful to His promise to Moses that if He goes and does these things, He will bring His people out of bondage of slavery in Egypt. And of course, that is what takes place. And we see this pattern throughout the Scriptures. You know, God tells His people... You know, if you follow my commandments, if you do what it is I have told you to do, uh, then blessings will follow. And of course, what does Israel do? What does Judah do? What do the apostles do? Many times, or actually most of the time, they don't listen. And of course, what is uh, the, the, the result of these things? Right? God tells Israel in the book of Deuteronomy that if they obey His laws and they stay away from the false gods of the nations around them, that He will bless them, that they will multiply, and that they will see peace and happiness and joy and glory in the land. But what happens soon after uh, the end of the book of Joshua? Well, we have the book of Judges. And what does the book of Judges look like? But one story after another where God's people have decided that they are wiser than God, they're smarter than God, and they know better than God. And what happens? Well, of course, God brings judgment down upon his people. And then he'll send a deliverer, whether it be Gideon or even somebody like Samson, and it will bring them out of bondage, bring them out of trouble, and And they will be good for a small period of time. And then they will fall right back into their sins. And of course, we see the same thing with Israel and with Judah. Again, God establishes the king. He gives the promise to David. And He tells David, again, if you are obedient to the Word, He tells it to Solomon. He tells this to all of the kings. And what differentiates the good kings from the bad kings? Again, in every case, the kings who obey the commandments of the Lord, they see blessing in their time, they see a glory come unto the kingdom, they see peace in the kingdom. But what happens when they disobey? Again, not only is there turmoil in their own house, but there's also turmoil in the kingdom, eventually leading to the ten tribes being scattered to the winds, and the two tribes of the south going into bondage, into Babylon. And of course we who sit here today often when we read those stories what is our response? Well often our first response is, is boy, can't these Israelites ever get it right? Can't they figure out what the problem is? You know, don't they know the definition of you know, stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Well why is Israel not figuring this out? Well, again, what's the problem with that? Again, we're not willing to again see the point that God's making. You know, that, that, that what are we supposed to learn from these things? Not that we kind of pharisaically stand over top the Israelites and shake our fingers at them. But we're to read these stories and think of our own hearts. You know, when we read of Ahab that he continued in the sins of Jeroboam... Well, we need to think about what the sins of Jeroboam are and whether or not we are continuing in the sins of Jeroboam. If we are engaged in likewise in rebellion against the Lord. And again, that's not a comfortable conversation to have with yourself. Because the last thing you know, many of us want to do is be honest with ourselves. Right? We, we, we build up this kind of false image of who we are. Of course, the, the, the image that we often portray to the world around us. But Of course, even as we're attempting to do these things, we know who we are. Right? I mean, that, that's, uh, who a person is always shows itself out when they're by themselves. When they're alone. When they think no one else can see them. And what Paul is getting across to the Romans here in chapter 6, is this same kind of thing. He's wanting the Romans to be honest with themselves. To know who they are. To be reminded that they who are sinners, they who have been made righteous, not by any works of the flesh, but purely by the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been given these new lives in Jesus Christ, are then to do what? Are they to remain in their sins? Are they to remain in their former manner of life? Are they to act as if the grace of God means that we can live however it is we would like? And that all we need to do is then just ask forgiveness. Because God has to forgive us, right? God has to forgive us because we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb so we can sin boldly that grace might abound. Because grace is a good thing, right? You know, grace is a wonderful thing. And of course, we confess that grace is a wonderful thing. But again, this attitude is something that Paul wants to destroy in the womb, as it were. And again, this is again, this is an attitude problem that we see being laid forth by Paul in this passage, again, we who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we who have had this mighty work of redemption done for us, just as Israel had been brought out of slavery in Egypt, just as the people of God had been brought out of bondage in Babylon, we have been brought out of bondage to the evil one brought out of slavery to sin, that we might live and have our identity and our being in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the kingdom of God. I think when we think of this calling, of this reality that is before us, again, Paul is wanting each one of us to take a moment and take stock of ourselves. Again, do we sin and then say, well, I'll just ask forgiveness later? Do we say to ourselves, well, I'll enjoy this sin in the moment, and then when I'm done with it, then I'll get on my knees and ask the Lord uh, to look over uh, this transgression. And of course, I I, I know that as we're thinking, we we of course can think of times that we, we have acted in this way, but Paul here doesn't want to leave the Romans in this kind of state of kind of morbid you know, introspection. He wants them to take a moment and consider their own sin, consider where they are in their walk with God. But again, as he is laying this out, as he is calling upon them to again consider themselves, again he once more brings to bear the goodness of the assurance that they have in Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons why in this passage, Paul will move them to look back at their baptism. To call them to look back at who they are now that they have been washed by the water. Right? Having the sign of the kingdom placed upon them. It's one of the reasons why Paul will, will bring baptism into the same words, the same focus, the same uh, uh, picture as the death of Christ. Again, you know, we think of death, we think of the death of Christ, well, what takes place in Christ's death? Of course, not only He dies, but again, we see His body prepared. We see Him laid in the tomb. The, uh, we see Him uh, having the, the, the stone rolled in front. And of course, we know the wonderful story of the Easter morning, uh, where the women go to the grave to put spices and to anoint Him once more, and the stone is rolled away. And we hear the angels ask uh, the, 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 these women, why do you seek uh, the living among the dead? Because Christ has arisen from that place. He's no longer held by the grave. Of course, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 will will likewise point us to this reality. That why are we to have hope even in the the light of death? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has won the victory over death. The sting of death has been taken away from us. And one of the things that Paul will make clear in that that chapter 15 passage is that those of us who've had this reality done for us have a hope within us. And that hope that we have within us is not of ourselves, but of the work of God the Father. And that's, again, one of the reasons why Paul, again, will bring this up in the midst of this talk of the raising of Christ from the dead. Again, who was glorified in this work? Well, Paul tells us here that the Father was glorified by the raising of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And again, that's one of the central ideas that that is supposed to guide believers. Again, everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that has happened to us is for the glory of the Father. And it's for God Almighty that these things have been done. It's not for us. It's not for us that primarily the Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. The primary reason why this took place is so that we would be reconciled to the Father. That the relationship that was broken in Eden would be would not only be fixed but would be made greater than it was in Eden. Again, for the glory of God the Father. And so again, Paul here as he's as he's tying in baptism with the death of Christ and tying in baptism with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, is calling these Roman Christians to consider how they are living. To consider who their God is. What their identity is. What their idols are. And especially how they understand the justification that they have received through uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's why he again closes this section by saying, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And when we think of the resurrection, when we think of the application of the resurrection to the heart of the believer, And we think of that, that passage in, in Ezekiel that talks about the fact that our hearts, which were stone, are now flesh. Again, that, that picture is meant to kind of knock us over the head with its obviousness. And because we are hard-headed people, right? How does, how does God describe the Israelites? They're stiff-necked People, we often need to have kind of the two by four of the Holy Spirit applied unto our minds. And what we see there again is this call to walk in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what Jesus Christ continues to do for us. Again, this is the heart, this is the motivation that we are to have when we read the law of the Lord. You know, as I talk to the children about, you know, why do we listen to our parents? Why do we listen to God? Why do we listen to those in authority over us? You know, it's not just like, uh, because they have important things to tell us. Right? You know, paying your taxes is important. It's not something we enjoy doing, but it's something we have to do. Well, I guess we don't have to do it, but it's a good idea uh, to pay your taxes. And when we think about something being important, well, our obedience to God God, is not just important in that kind of duty sense, but it's important because we who have been given this new life and have been called to live in this new life with ears that can hear and eyes that can see, that the Ten Commandments have been given to us that we might again be blessed in them. You know, why are we not supposed to steal? It's not just because it's important not to steal. You can think of the, uh, of, of the nature of those uh, that second table. Again, we are not to steal because we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, why are we not to commit adultery? Because we're supposed to love our neighbors Why are we supposed to keep the Sabbath day? Because, as as the first table has said, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. Again, it's showing forth again this love that we have for our Heavenly Father. Again, this Father who has granted to us new life. This Father who has granted to us life eternal in the heavenly places. Again, this is why we are not to continue in sin that grace may abound. Because we love our Heavenly Father. We love our Heavenly Father more than we love life itself. We love our Heavenly Father more than we even love our own families. Of course, that's one of the things that Jesus Christ says to the disciples that probably of anything that He says, causes us to scratch our heads more than any other. But again, think about what Jesus has said there in the Gospels where He tells us that if we don't hate mother or father, then we are not of His kingdom. And that's not, of course, violating the fifth commandment. But again, it's talking very seriously about the nature of our love for God. Again, if we have an earthly parent who is advising us to sin, what should be the response of a godly uh, child? I guess the godly child should listen to their heavenly father rather than their earthly father. And when we think about this love that we have for our God, again, it's grounded in the reality of who God is. And what God has called us to do as our Heavenly Father. And the Apostle Paul, as he's speaking to these Roman Christians as he continues to kind of ground this obedience in what God has done for us. He also notes there in verse 3, he says, or do you not know That as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism of death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Again, it's it's important to see that Paul there is not talking as much to us individually as he's talking to the church at Rome. Because again, one of the things that we have to understand about the Christian faith is that we're not in it by ourselves. And no matter what it is that we do from day to day, we're not doing it as individuals. We're doing it as a community of faith. Again, how do, how do the pagans live? How, how does the world live? Especially in the day in which we live. Again, the day in which we live very much is every man for himself. No matter how it hurts others, no matter how it might bring destruction to others, it doesn't matter as long as I am satisfied. As long as I am glorified. As long as I get what I want. There's a very real sense where there's no such thing as I in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we are members of one body. We are members of one faith, one baptism. And so why are we to be obedient to the God who has created the heavens and the earth? So that we may walk in newness of life. Again, when we think about the love that we are to have for one another as fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know why do we do things together? And it's for our mutual benefit. And again, if one part of the body is seeking to glorify itself, it brings damage upon the whole body. Again, that, that that changes how we serve. It changes how we live. It changes how we see ourselves, because again, we do, we understand that we are not the most important cog in the wheel. You know, that we are not the ones that the wheel is operating for, but that we who have joined together. Again, when we think for a moment, again of the vows that we give as members of the Lord Jesus Christ, as members of the Bethany Church. And of course, we, we think of baptism, and and the last question we often ask when an infant or even an adult is baptized is that every one of us promises to do what? To make sure that this child or this adult is raised up in the faith. Right? We, we promise that we will make sure that this child or this adult comes to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I and mean, when we think about that, we often kind of uh, shoehorn it just into instruction. Whether it be in Sunday school, or whether it be in uh, a Bible study, or it be VBS, or, or these things. But think about the primary way that we teach. The primary way that we show these things. Instruct the children and young converts. Again, the primary way we do this is through the lives that we lead. Again, if a young person or an adult comes into a into a church, whether it be Bethany or wherever, and they all they see exhibited is this kind of I, uh, me first attitude, or this uh, you know what what can I get out of these things? Uh, focus. Well, what are they learning about the Christian faith? That it's that it's no so different than the world around us. They come into a body that shows mutual love for one another. They come into a body that exhibits the Christ-likeness that believers are called to live. Again, they'll see again this, this, this embassy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, they will see the beauty of the law of God. They'll see the beauty of the commandments of the Lord. They will see that, that, that when Jesus Christ calls us to do whatever it is, That our response to that call again is love for the Father. It's love for one another. It's love for neighbor and for God Almighty. Again, this changes everything about how we operate. It changes everything about how we think, most primarily about ourselves. Remember one of the things that Jesus says to to everyone who would come unto Him. He tells them that they are to carry uh, the cross. And what else does He say? It says that they are to deny themselves. And of course, when we think of that denying themselves, we usually primarily think it in obedience to the Lord our God. We are to to deny the, the base temptations of the flesh. Right? The word to deny that temptation we have to violate the law of God, to seek after the loves of the flesh, and to love the things of the spirit. But also think about that in the context of this, this talk of us together walking in newness of life. Again, denying self means glorifying others. Denying self means understanding that everything has not been built so that I can enjoy it or that I can do things or I can, can, can find my identity in these things. But the brothers and sisters, the apostle Paul and the word of the Lord our God again is calling us this morning again to understand ourselves as part of something much greater than ourselves. And we have been called by the glory of our God into the kingdom that He has founded from the foundation of the world. That we might again love one another in faith, love one another in grace, love one another as those who have each been called out of the world into this wonderful place where we love one another and we love our God. We see the example of the early church in the book of Acts. When they came together in Acts chapter 2, what does it say? It says that they held everything in common. And what else does it say? It says that they fellowshiped with one another. We're also told that they enjoyed fellowshipping with one another. And and why did they enjoy this fellowship? Again, they enjoyed this fellowship because they understood Again, what Paul says here about the nature of their redemption, the nature of their salvation. That they were unworthy of these things. That they had not been called out of darkness unto light just because of who they were. Because the God who created the heavens and the earth had called them to be His and to be part of His kingdom. To be part of the heavenly places that He had created from the foundation of the world that we might live in them. Not just now, but for all eternity. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of what we are calling others to join with us in. When we go out and we do these outreach events and we go out and tell people about Jesus, well, what are we wanting them to know? We wanted them to know about the programs that we have at Beth. We wanted them to know about, you know, the, the the things going on. And what's our primary motivation? Our primary motivation is that they would come to be a part of this glorious place that God has given to us, that they might again have eternal life, that they might not live in sin they might live in death live in this disordered reality that they might have what we have what we have together what we have as a body what we have as a congregation as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ and what is it that we have Again, we have this promise we have this reality of who we are That we are sinners saved by grace. That we are sinners who are no longer identified by our sin, but are identified by our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That we belong body and soul to the Lord our God. And that we have that hope that passeth all understanding. And we have that peace and that comfort that comes from a life of obedience to the Lord our God. For truly God is wiser than we are. God knows better than we do. And what we are called to do again as Christians is to live in light of that good gift. We are called to live for one another. For we are again a body. And if the hand is in trouble then it's incumbent on the rest of the body to help the hand. Because we can't think we can live without hands, or feet, or eyes, or noses, or mouths, or whatever. And we are only strong as the body is strong. And that's why we must together a covenant to live together in the light of the Gospel, in the light of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That we might show forth our glory unto our Heavenly Father, who has given to us this life. And not only this life, but life with Him for all of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again.